Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is game-changing predictive machine learning presented by SAP. The best run SAP. You'll hear from innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo around how predictive capabilities are utilized and delivered to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run, and you know it. Let's see what the buzz on the street is. I have a quote from a lady named Claudia Perlich, P-E-R-L-I-C-H, perhaps Perlich. She's a chief scientist, and she also has been a senior data scientist at various companies, currently at distillery, and that's the word distillery without the first I. Let's just leave that alone. And the quote is, learning how to do data science is like learning to ski. You have to do it. I thought that was a good way to introduce our topic. So what's going on? Big data. Come on, you've been hearing about it for years. Well, I have a very picturesque phrase for you. Big data has officially crashed into the business world. And what is it doing for you, our listeners all over the world? It's helping you take competition to new levels. That's what you want. Not just survive, but thrive in a highly competitive, hyper-competitive world. But you may be thinking, well, we're going to need a data science lab. And we're going to need what I call pedigreed experts, people who were just schooled in this and very learned in this to help us figure out what to do with the big data. We want to take advantage of it, of course. We want to do everything we can with AI and machine learning, but we have to have a huge budget and a huge operational facility to get the resources we need. Well, we have good news for you. Packaged application software, we'll be finding out what that is, has lowered the skills barrier to mining the big data. You should all be jumping up and down saying, yes, we could do it. Well, our panel is proof that anyone can successfully use data analytics tools, and we might even get them to pry loose with what they wish they knew when they started working in the big data field. Let me tell you who our panelists are. First up, in a moment, I'll be introducing you to a newcomer to Game Changers. He is Jason Olson, and I am... I'm very careful that he spells his last name with two O's, O-L-S-O-N. He's an analytics specialist at Kimberly Clark. We'll find out what he does there, what Kimberly Clark is up to, and we're going to have an opening quote from him in a minute. Joining us is somebody who hasn't been on the radio with me in a couple of years, and we're thrilled to have him back. It's Aproyo founder and CEO, Chris Carter. It's Christopher, but he lets me call him Chris. And I had the pleasure of meeting him face-to-face at Sapphire Now last year in Orlando, Florida. Thank you very much, Chris. And joining the panel is another newcomer, Samantha Wong, W-O-N-G, if you're looking for her. And she said I can call her Sam. She's a product manager for predictive analytics at SAP. So welcome to my my three esteemed panelists. Mr. Jason Olson has sent me a quote from Henry Ford. It's a very popular quote, but anybody who doesn't know who Henry Ford was, 1863 to 1947. In his era, the modern period, he was the sixth wealthiest person with his network. Now, remember, he died in 1947. His net worth was about 188 to $199 billion. You may think he invented the automobile. You may think he invented the assembly line. He didn't. He didn't invent them, but he introduced the Model T automobile and revolutionized transportation and American industry. He owned the Ford Motor Company, becoming one of the richest and best-known people in the world. Let's get to the quote already. Bonnie Jason is saying, here we go. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. 
Jason Olson, pleasure to meet you. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for joining me. Your connection is so clear. I just turned around to see if you're standing behind me in my office here. So, Jason, we're talking about, well, I have to give the official title of this episode, Business Analyst by Day, Data Science Hero by Night. I always want to lower my voice and think of somebody running into the room with a cape. Is that what you think of when you hear that, Jason? (laughs) Yeah, that's sort of what you feel like sometimes, too, with the reaction you get from people. So talk to me. Talk to me, but first of all, how how did you pick this quote from Henry Ford? Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And, and related, do the segue for me. Put the little crumbs out there and take it into our topic about being a data science hero. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, so my quote goes back a little bit, probably a couple of years. Um, I actually I got started with a data science specialization course through uh, through Coursera. And uh, it was done by John Hopkins. And the first class that I went into, uh, they threw out a whole bunch of very complex formulas and uh, were kind of talking through them, and it all went right over my head. Um, mm. But then as we got further into it, and they started to explain what exactly it was doing, it started to make sense. And uh, it was at that point that I said, okay, well, I'm going to stick this out, and I'm going to understand you know, what it is at a high level. I'm not going to be able to go through. I'm not going to be able to explain uh, the mathematics behind it, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as I get what the concept is, I can see that you know these these algorithms and things you just require you to, you to input the data in the right way. Well, as you go farther on, we started to get into you know some of these these new package solutions that we're talking about, and it makes it even easier yet. So we'll certainly get into that. Um, but the one thing that I did throughout it was to just really know that I was going to figure this out and I was going to be successful doing it, and. Uh, and then as I brought that back into my company and started to share with others and identify, you know, some of the the better business analysts who really understood their business, um, I was able to take some of these these packaged tools and to start implementing it with them, too. And the difference was some got it and some didn't. And the ones that got it were the ones who thought they could from the beginning and were willing to stick it out. Wonderful. You, you know, this reminds me, Jason, going back, I won't tell you how many years. Chris Carter may know how many years, but I'm not telling on radio. I remember when I was faced with uh, going to work for the first time, actually in my late 20s, a, a newly divorced young mom, and I didn't know what to do. And my family sent me a bunch of brochures, and they said, just pick something and go back to school and do something. And computer programmer, that's what we used to call them in the, those days, was one of the brochures. And I found a community college, two bus rides away from my house. I was living in Eugene, Oregon, and I didn't even have a car. I didn't have much money. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I wanted to stay on the West Coast with my kids. And I went to this place and I said, what is this all about? What What do you teach? And they said, well, computer programming and, and analyst and, and operator and all that. And they said, you might like it, but we have a problem. The class is already full. But here's the secret. In two weeks, it will empty out because people will decide they don't want to do it. So stick around, come to class for two weeks, and we promise you, you'll have a seat and you'll be able to take the class. And I did. (laughs) And I realized whether I thought I could or I couldn't and I had an idea or not, I wanted to and I did, and it changed the entire course of my life. There are about 20 of us who stayed 
and we all, I think, went on to really good careers. So the quote, when you were talking about it, Jason, about not knowing about big data and what to do with the analytics, and, and you took it back to your company, and you made something out of it, it just reminded me of a personal story. I hope you don't mind my segue, but those those were the days. So I en- ended up being hired by the community college to run a statewide information system after two years, and I aced the classes after two years, got two degrees. So, so there. So... We know we can, don't we? And I think that's part of the message here. If anybody wants to become a data science hero by night, well, they might be able to do it in the daytime too. Jason Olson, thank you for kicking us off with such an interesting quote and a great story. Chris Carter waiting patiently. Rumor has it that there's some allergies lurking around wherever he is, and we'll we'll find out about that. But Chris has sent us a quote from Shaq O'Neal. Of course, it's Shaquille, and I didn't know his middle name was Rashawn, R-A-S-H-A-U-N. He's an American retired professional basketball player, currently a sports analyst on the TV program Inside the NBA, considered one of the greatest players in NBA history, standing at a mere 7 feet 1 inch tall and 330 pounds. He's one of the tallest and heaviest men ever to play in the NBA, where he played six teams throughout his 19-year career. I don't know if you thought I memorized all of that, Chris, but we'll just say that maybe I did. He also has released four rap albums, and his first album, Shaq Diesel, went platinum. What do you think of that? Uh, He's appeared in films. He had his own reality TV show. He hosts a big podcast, and he's quite the guy. Here's the quote Chris has selected from Shaq O'Neal. I never worry about the problem. I worry about the solution. Chris Carter, welcome back. It's been too long. How are you? It has been too long. Thank you for having me back. Just delighted. As a matter of fact, we were looking for a third panelist, and you were just connected with me, and I knew John Skitka and uh, Hannah White putting the show together needed somebody, and I said, quick, let's invite Chris Carter. And you said yes, you and Kyle, who works with you, and we were just thrilled. So welcome, welcome, welcome back. Talk to me about the quote, Chris. So I, I love the concept of it because really the problem is is there. But, but what you really want is you want to figure out how am I going to solve it? What is the end result? What is it equal to? And, and I've always found that in my career is, okay, you guys have brought me a problem. That's great. But what do we want to get to? When I talk to partners, when I talk to customers, when I talk to anybody, it's what do you want to do? And then let's work backwards from there. Because the problem is always going to be there, no matter what problem surfaces. But it's how you are able to work to get to the right resolution and the right success that really matters to everybody. And that's what everybody should focus on, not the problem itself. Focus on what you are going to do to make that happen. Absolutely. And I think we can tie in the quote from Henry Ford that Jason Olson just brought us. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So think you can find a solution. Do we like that can-do attitude, Mr. Carter? Absolutely. It is one of my favorite things. I, I tell people all the time, life is too short. Enjoy it. Go out there and just do just do. That's absolutely right. And that's what we're doing here. Thank you, Chris. And we will be talking a lot more in a few minutes. And I'm glad you were able to join us on such short notice. We are very appreciative of your time. And tell Kyle I said thank you and hello. And he might even be listening. Who knows? And rounding out the panelists, Samantha Wong, Sam Wong at SAP. And she has sent us a quote 
from Socrates. My, 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 Sam, we haven't had a quote going that far back in a long time. I'm very impressed. Socrates, ancient Greek, lived from 470 to 399 BC. Classical Greek, and they put on Wikipedia, Athenia philosopher, credited as one of the founders of Western philosophy and being the first moral philosopher of the Western ethical tradition of thought. He was enigmatic. He created all kinds of schools of thought, and we won't go into those, but uh, I'm just going to read the quote because I think it's fascinating. True knowledge exists in knowing that you know nothing. I think all three quotes are tied together. Sam Wong, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for joining me. Talk to me about this quote. Are you a fan of Socrates? Do you spend your spare time reading him? Talk to me. <laughs> well, I'm very glad I'm the outlier, first of all, in providing such an <laughs> old quote. Uh, but actually, I first became familiar with this quote uh, in university, likely in a philosophy class, and it stuck with me ever since. Um, I really like it because it's quite humbling, it's a little bit cheeky, um, and it's really all about uh, the fact that if we as humans assume that we know best, we might restrict ourselves from all of the possibilities that or available options that are out there. And so it's very oh. relevant for today's mm-hmm. topic around data science because what we're trying to do is understand human truths and understand human behavior. And while we have lots of experience in interacting with each other and we might be able to look at data and understand or assume what will this person buy next or what's the risk of this person defaulting on a credit loan, at the end of the day, if we can step back from our human intuition and our assumptions and let something like data science do the calculations and find trends and patterns, we might be able to un- un- uncover something that's quite interesting that we have never thought about before. So very relevant to what Jason said. Uh, sometimes when you take a look at the results of data science, they completely shock you. It's something out of the norm. And I think to really embrace data science, organizations need to do that. They need to step back, admit that maybe they don't know at all, and let the math uncover some real interesting insights. Oh, Sam, that's so so interesting what you said, because there are still people in this world, and I think we all know them, who want to believe they know everything, and they're always right <laughs> to the death, and it's hard to tell them. And there is a humility. There's a humbling. You're right. There's an integrity and authenticity in saying, I know what I don't know, and I want to find out. I want to learn. I want to fill in the gaps. I want to be good at something I don't know about. I, I love the way all three quotes just fit together. And to my audience, each panelist sends a package of deliverables to me before the show. They don't talk to each other, but okay, you'll pick one from Henry Ford, and you'll get a quote from Socrates, and you'll get a quote from Shaq O'Neill. That doesn't happen. So it's always interesting to me when they just tie in so beautifully and help to expand the message of what we're trying to say. So Sam Wong, my question to you is, do you think data science heroes need to operate by night with a cape and dark shades and, and uh, you know by stealth, or do you think they can come out into the light? What do you think? Is it time? <laughs> I absolutely think that they should come out into the light. I know, though, from many of uh, the conversations I've had with other business analysts that it becomes almost a, an extra part of their job, so they might need to do it at nighttime, but I think we should bring that back into the light. I like that a lot. Jason Olson, should we bring it back into the light? Is it time? Yeah, it definitely is. There's a lot of people out there that are ready to do it, and uh, I think I think it's, it's time. It's time to get them out there. Can they keep the cape? Uh, yeah, yeah, why not? It looks nice. <laughs> Chris Carter, what do you think? Can the data scientists be seen in daylight with the cape still? 
They can as long as we can keep the cape and it matches my outfit. I'll be fine. There you go. Thank you very much. Uh, I recently attended a, a competitive improv where it's made a team sport, and one team is the blue team and one is the red, and they have a floater who could be the fourth on the blue team or the red team. And would you believe he was wearing a purple shirt? So it's like he said, blue and red make purple. I'm the one. And whenever they needed him, they summoned him, and he came out of the door that was closest to that team on the side of the stage and became their their fourth panelist. I thought that was interesting. Yes, talking about capes. Jason Olson, this is the part of the show where we just want to get to know you a little bit better. So I'm going to ask you a couple of, well, I call them two personal questions. They're not T-O-O. They start with T-O-O. T-W-O. Number one, where are you today? Number two, what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world that keeps you smiling and keeps you smart? and full of energy and then we'll tack on question number three what do you do at kimberly clark jason olson all yours sure so yeah i'm at, I'm at my desk at uh, at work right now in my office um so nothing too special there uh what my drink for today is is a a home-brewed uh, kombucha and uh, my mm. family's very into natural health so i have that and uh, I have it second brewed with, or second uh, fermented, I guess, with, with raspberry. So it's got a little raspberry uh, taste to it as well. Uh, so, you know, we, we really get into that. If you've ever seen one of those jars sitting on someone's cupboard or in a closet or something somewhere, it's the, it's the brown liquid with the weird stuff on top, the weird uh, <laughs> gel-looking stuff. <laughs> so that's what I'm drinking today. Um, and at Kimberly Clark, I am a, um, an analytics specialist. And uh, I, I, I do some data science stuff uh, now as well as kind of a citizen data scientist. Now, we explored citizen data scientists on a previous episode of the series, which is one of our newer series, by the way, in the Game Changers family of radio shows. How do you describe your role? What does it mean when somebody says, what do you want? I'm a data so I'm a citizen data scientist. What do you do? You know, so, so what I do is I do a lot of the... Um, easier data science work, I should say, you know, leveraging these tools. So I'm not the person that's going to go out and, you know, code in R or Python. If you've heard a lot of these things, these are, you know, the standard data science text and techniques. Um, I leverage a tool like the SAP Predictive Analytics or um, uh, the Azure um, Machine Learning, these kinds of tools that start to automate some of those practices. And uh, I, you know, go after some of the, the the easy business cases that we have. Um, so I seek them out within our business, uh, f- find things that are problems that have been around for a long time and no one's been able to solve. Um, or maybe they're trying to do a next sell or something like that. And I leverage these new tools to, you know, quickly turn around uh, some real results for them and, uh, you know, get them into an area where they can start to provide benefit and then occasionally I'll work with the data scientists as well um, to do something a little more robust if, if needed. But that's, but that's the minority of the time. The majority is, you know, me doing it as, a, you know, really as a business analyst, you can kind of function in that type of a role. So that was our title, wasn't it? Our title is Business Analyst by Day, Data Science Hero, or Citizen Data Scientist Hero. I need that word citizen by night. Thank you, Jason. Pleasure to meet you. Chris Carter, known you for a couple of years, but you need to catch us up. Number one, where are you in the world today? Number two, what's your favorite drink? Nothing to do with allergies. And number three, what's new at Aproyo? Go ahead, Chris. So number one, I too am sitting at my desk in my office with my six monitors on around me. Uh, my favorite drink is 
outside of coffee is always a Macallan scotch, preferably something over the age of 18. Um, it just tastes so yummy, especially when you have allergies. And Aproyo is, uh, is helping people. Uh, I love the fact that I get to do a lot of design thinking, um, a typical SAP term, and go out and help organizations and people with uh, understanding of, hey, what is your problem and how can we get to fix it? And I, I truly love doing that, even though I, I'm the founder and run the company. I, I love going out and doing design thinking and working with my SAP brethren and understanding where our analytics and data and uh, IoT and everything intersects and where we need to put it together and how we can really benefit them. That's my Very important. Days. Chris, you started Aproyo. What was on your mind at the time? Was there a gap in the market? Was there something not being met? Was it just a curiosity? Were you uh, noticing a problem and you were in search of a solution? What, what was Just quickly, what was your motivation? And do you consider yourself a data scientist? You can answer that in any order. So I do consider myself to be a data scientist. I did go to college at Georgia Tech and data analytics. Um, was a precursor with data and databases, was something that I studied quite heavily at tech. And why I started the company is I actually was retired and I was drinking a bottle of scotch with a vice president at SAP, and he told me to get my butt out there, meet with Vishal Sika, who at the time was working with Hasso on this new incredible database called HANA, and start working with them to understand what and how it's going to help customers. And I did that for a year in stealth mode just by myself, and I came to love it. And Vichelle was kind enough to grant us a startup focus program, uh, initial membership. We were one of the first 20 organizations they chose, and I've just loved it ever since and enjoyed working on HANA and helping customers really understand what their their needs are and where they need to go. So it's, it's been a benefit and a great, uh, been a great ride. Thank you very much. I can't believe you said you were retired and drinking scotch. The scotch I get, the retired I didn't. That's another day for another story. Thank you very much. I'm looking at your picture. No way. Samantha, Sam Wong, where are you today? And you notice, Sam, that neither Jason nor Chris told me what part of the world, just that they were in their home office. So I don't know where they are. I'll tell you all where I am in a minute. But Sam, would you like to tell me what city you're in today so we we know a little bit more? And what do you love to drink? And and what do you do as a product manager for predictive analytics, Sam? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm actually in sunny British Columbia in the city of Vancouver. Um, it's actually where I'm originally from, but now I'm based in Singapore. So I'm in Vancouver, but based in Singapore. Uh, my favorite drink is actually a new craft beer that I had just a few days ago uh, called Blackmail Milk Stout from Strange Fellows Brewing. And I forgot about the wonderful beer scene in Vancouver, so I thought I'd bring that up. And uh, in terms of what I do at SAP, as a product manager for predictive analytics, I work with businesses and customers and business analysts to essentially build the right tool and a better tool to help them achieve data science projects. So a lot of working with customers, understanding what their challenges are, what they would like to do more of or could do better, and actually building that into our products. Thank you very much. I did happen to do a quick Google here, and I have a broadcast, uh, a PR 
from October 5th, 2017, and here's the announcement, Sam. Strange Fellows releases Blackmail Milk Stout in cans. They've announced it now be available in four-pack cans. It's a stout brewed with lactose, lactose, a sugar that cannot be fermented by the yeast and so adds sweetness to offset the bitterness of the hops and roasted malt. Blackmail has a rich, round, and slightly sweet character with a creamy mouthfeel and notes of coffee and chocolate. Ooh, that sounds like something I might like. Uh, they're shipping it out to select private liquor stores over the next week. So I have a picture of the, and Blackmail is actually a blackbird. It's a blackbird. And it says, Blackmail Milk Stout landing October 4th, if you believe the rumors. <laughs> I love it. I'm sorry. That's, that's delightful. Thank you very much. Sam and Jason, nice to meet you. Chris may remember from a couple of years ago when he was last on Game Changers with me that they, whoever they is or are, do not let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And I heard he did another live show a few hours ago. So I'm relegated to water. So it's a cool, clear glass of water. The same mug, yes, Chris, that I was drinking my radio water in. When I was in New York, I'm now here in Durham, North Carolina. Glad to report it's a beautiful blue sky with beautiful light fluffy clouds and I'm learning very quickly that we have what I call Florida weather. You can be in the middle of a gorgeous day and suddenly the sky darkens, the wind picks up, the trees almost lie flat on the ground, the plants open up and look heavenward and you get a downpour with thunder and lightning, lasts about 20 minutes and then it goes away and you're back to 90 something in blue skies and fluffy clouds. So that's what I'm getting used to. We even have sun showers, full blue sky, couple of clouds, gorgeous sunshine and it's pouring rain. So welcome to the South, Bonnie. Yes, I will get used to it. We're going to take a quick break while I take a sip of my water and give Jason Olson at Kimberly Clark, Chris Carter at Aproyo, and Sam Wong at SAP a chance to take a sip of, I'm not going to ask what they're really drinking right now, but we can only imagine. And when we come back, we're going to start the roundtable doing a deep dive into our topic, which is very cleverly worded, I believe, by Hannah White at SAP, who works with John Skitka, the, the sponsor of this series. The new series just started a few weeks ago, game-changing predictive machine learning and the title of this episode is business analyst by day data science hero by night we have to talk about that no i didn't say vanna white i said hannah white thank you very much my engineer was asking no vanna white doesn't turn the letters on the show hannah white does so don't even think of touching that mouse that app that doll we have so much more to talk about such a fascinating topic and such smart panelists we're all learning together okay Aaron out Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. From understanding user and business needs to exploring enabling technologies and operationalization to developing cultures that embrace democratization and pervasive use of predictive capabilities by all, SAP helps you explore how predictive machine learning is transforming business. Game-changing predictive machine learning brings you insights from those who are helping to make this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges across all lines of business to explore what needs to change to effectively exploit predictive machine learning across the enterprise and how you can go from lagging to transformational. Tune in to the business channel to hear today's predictive machine learning business and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how predictive machine learning is shaping the future of change for all of us. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Listening to Game Changing Predictive Machine Learning, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Predictive Machine Learning, presented yes, by and- SAP. Yes, indeed, presented by SAP. We're talking about business analyst by day, data science hero at night. I will not drop the voice anymore. Enough drama. Talking today with Jason Olson, O-L-S-O-N, at Kimberly Clark, Chris Carter at Aproyo, A-P-P-R-O-Y-O, if you want to look them up, and Samantha Wong at SAP, spells her last name W-O-N-G, if you want to look her up. Now, Jason Olson is going to start the roundtable, and here's a little bit of what Jason told me before the show, and I'm quoting. He says, The critical piece that must be put in place before you can really start doing machine learning is a solid data infrastructure. Jason, please tell us more. Yeah, certainly. So when you really get started to leverage machine learning, um, it expects the data that you provide to be in a very, you know, certain format. And uh, and that's really what my point is kind of getting at, is that when when I found new analysts attempting to do this, what they would run into is they would get very frustrated with trying to get that data set properly um, in order for the tool to accept it and to ultimately give you the output. So um, what we end up having to do is we end up having to, you know, just really focus on uh, getting that structure right, getting it ready so that they could just easily consume the data. They could easily pick the fields that they wanted to do. And it was already ready um, in the right format. So that was sort of an IT job for us, you know, to get that ready for them. But as soon as it was in place, then we were free to kind of turn these tools loose with them. Um, one stat that I heard was that about about 80% of your time in a typical machine learning effort is spent getting that data prepped. So you can imagine that as a, as a business analyst, you have all of this work to be to get done. And uh, the last thing you want to be doing is spending 80% of your time getting that data prepped. Um, now, no matter what you do, there's still some time uh, that's, that, that's required to do that. But we were able to cut that down, you know, probably in half of what it was. And that made it very attainable for them so that, you know, it was something that they could go out and do themselves. Um, if they wanted to enhance their data a little bit, that's certainly something they do, um, that, that, that they could do on their own. But for the most part, it was there, ready. All the gaps in the data were already kind of filled, and and you know the harmonization was already done, and it was just it was just a nice, easily consumable, uh, you know, set of data. Very, very interesting. You mentioned I'm going to bring Chris and Sam into this, but you mentioned something about selecting the questions you want. The how do you know in the beginning what you're where you're going to want to go with it, Jason? Is that something you design from the beginning, or or do you just keep an open mind, and say, "Wow, that's interesting. Let's go there." How do you know the path you want to take with preparing the data? Yes, you know we we would always meet with the business users first and try to understand exactly you know what kind of problems that they have. 
Um, and then we also need to understand, you know, what kind of, uh, what they're trying to solve. So like, for instance, if they were trying to do some kind of um, uh, forecast uh, over the next year or something like that, we wanted to know that that was going to require uh, uh, some kind of time series analysis. So, so in order to do that, we needed to have historical data and we need to have future data. Um, so we did need to know some, some basic parameters ahead of time in order to get that prepped for them. Um, we could also ask about, you know, just starting to, to, to drill into questions about, you know, what drives that data so that we could start to get together some other predictor type values. So, you know, for us, we sell Huggies at, at Kimberly Clark. And w- one thing mm-hmm. that certainly drives the sale of Huggies is a birth rate. Um, so if we were going to forecast that data. Uh, we were certainly going to need to go out and we were going to need to understand what the birth rate was and what we expected it to be uh, over the next year. So those kinds of basic questions we could ask, um, and then we get the data prepped for them, and then we could turn them loose. And once we turned them loose, they may came back with some other smaller, small questions, but they were small incremental uh, 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 changes rather than having to completely redesign it, and we weren't forcing them to do it themselves. So just kind of taking that big burden off their shoulders. Thank you. That's what I was going at. I wanted a, a practical example. Chris Carter, love to get your thoughts. Agree or disagree that the infrastructure has to happen, the preparation, the harmonizing? What do you think? It, it absolutely is correct. And, and the data will take you where the data is going to take you. But when you start with a design thinking, thinking aspect, and this is something that we've been doing with the SAP ecosystem for some time now, is what is it that you want? What is it you want to do? Where is it you want to go? That may be different than where the data takes you. It also is different from where the infrastructure and mm-hmm. what the solution set is all geared towards possibly giving you. And that's the really out, outstandingly cool for me. Outstandingly cool? That made sense. That is <laughs> okay. For me, that is very outstanding. Is because you think of it in these linear terms, but really... It's three-dimensional. You're looking at, you know, just as we were talking about huggy diapers and looking at birth rates. And, you know, there are different, Wisconsin has a different way that their birth cycle is going to go compared to a Florida. Wisconsin has a higher birth rate in the summer times because everybody sits in their cabins and drinks old fashions all winter long and babies are made. Where in Florida, <laughs> they don't have that activity. So, you see where data takes you dependent upon what your parameters are. And that's the cool thing about it. And then you bring that all together in a nice, neat package, and voila. I love the way you described how babies are made, Chris Carter. Seven years. Old-fashioned. 1,500 shows, and this is the first time we've had that uh, birds and bees discussion here. Uh, Well, not a discussion. It was very very genteelly shared by you and I appreciate that I'm still trying to figure out who's drinking them and who's not but that's okay thank you very much Chris and I love the way you inserted the word cool when you were talking about data and analytics and I know to you and and I believe to Jason and Sam this is cool stuff this is big deal this is discovery and finding things out and learning and perhaps going in brand new directions, going back to what Jason said. Sam Wong, I want to get you involved in this. Talk to me. Agree or disagree with what the two gentlemen on the panel said? Oh, I absolutely agree. And I I think it sort of ties into what they've said already, but it absolutely is a cohesive partnership between someone who understands the data and someone who is, you know, 
physically there to shepherd the data and give access to it. Um, especially when we're talking about data science, I think it's really, really great to get as many parties involved to understand what kind of data you need to build into that initial data set to find out what's driving a certain factor or a certain business outcome. So a good example is I was working with an organization. They were trying to understand uh, for finance purposes when certain accounts receivable documents were going to be paid. And with their data science team, they were able to derive a great model. It had very good accuracy and is very robust. But when you looked at the model, some of the indicating factors of whether or not or what time an invoice would be paid is whether or not it was an invoice and whether or not it was communicated to the customer. So those kinds of things are are maybe things that you need to look at and reiterate through the modeling process, but it's good to include as much data as possible, I think, and get as much input from business users and from people in IT to build that initial data set together. Thank you, Sam. Good observation. Jason, I'm not going to go back to you to wrap this up. I think we've had some good coverage of this, and I'm going to move on to some other practical approaches or uses for machine learning and data science. Chris Carter, I'm looking at your notes here, and I'm down on the third one, and let me just read a little bit, and you can expand it. You say, whenever we experience delightful online shopping, and you've put that words in quotes for a reason, you'll tell us, Mm -hmm. it may be due to a machine learning algorithm that quote-unquote understands our previous buying behavior and intent, and it makes precise, intelligent recommendations to guide our future purchases. And this comes under your topic of customer experience. So data, who's got access to this data that they know it's me or it's you and what we looked at and what we bought before and how long it takes us on our buying journey? How smart is this machine learning? And what does the data scientist have to do with this? Well, it's, 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 it's every site that you shop at. It's Amazon has got hundreds of them. Um, if you go to a uh, a financial institution. A perfect example is Morgan Stanley has got more IT staff than they have bankers. They Ooh. know that if you can get the attention of an individual online, that you're going to keep those individuals long term because you're going to con- or they are going to constantly bring up components such as cookies that are based out there and grab that information and continuously feed it to you. And one time, you're going to hit on it. I'm a, I, I love electric skateboards. I love electric scooters, um, things like that. Just the other day, I got pinged on my one of my apps. I think it was either uh, Facebook or something in regards to an electric surfboard. And Get out. I instantly went, hey, whoa, I don't have one of my toys for the water. And I instantly purchased it. So they know that based upon my buying history and the the search history that I've had. And so the data scientists are out there. They're the ones that are creating those algorithms that keep coming back to your cookies and your browsing history and going through those activities. And that's why Amazon has got tens of thousands of developers who are continuously looking at what the algorithms are based upon the data that is coming in and out of their shopping. So if you stop shopping and you your system crashes or you just clicked off or you decided you didn't want to buy something that day, you'll notice that the first things that come to you on certain web pages are the items that were in your basket at that time that you left. And that's all part of the data science activity to grow that. 
So, Chris, that means we're all intentionally or otherwise, and for most of us, we know it, I would hope by now, in twenty mid-2018, we're aware that we're leaving breadcrumbs behind. We're leaving little yes. little bits and pieces of who we are, what we like. I can be on any number of websites, and some dresses from Zoo Lily will show up. I haven't looked at that site in probably a year, but there were certain tunics and style dresses, interesting patterns that just pop up everywhere I am because they know I was there. I never bought one, but they know I was there. I might have looked at something on Amazon but not bought it. You're right. And it just keeps popping up everywhere I go. So it's it's there. We're there. We're giving... We're giving off these the signals. It's clues. It's a, fascinating. Fa- imagine what it would take a human being to figure all this out. Really, it wouldn't happen. Just for the lucky few, probably the big spenders. I want to get. Thank you, Chris. I want to get Sam Wong in on this. Sam, talk to me about customer experience, buying experience, machine learning, and how data science all figures in. Agree or disagree with Chris? And anything you want to add? I absolutely completely agree, and we're seeing much more evidence now of consumers um, really, I'd say, having higher expectations. You get one chance to improve that customer uh, or impress Mm -hmm. that customer, and if they're not impressed or you don't offer them something that's of interest, they're going to go off to the competition. There's just so many competitors out there with the world being so globalized, and it's really interesting um, what Chris had mentioned around, you know, Amazon. They're providing a delightful shopping experience because they're going to guess what I want to buy in the least amount of time and save me a lot of time in my shopping experience. But when you think about it from a business context, they've got millions of products on there. And it would be it's impossible for a lot of smaller or medium sized organizations to to have that scale of a data science team that Amazon would have. So we're seeing this huge shift in the market where business analysts are readily available. They're already in the business and understand the the concept of the business and what they're trying to achieve. And now they're starting to get their feet wet in data science because we need to scale out. We need to be able to make more recommendations than ever to provide that best-in-class customer experience to keep our customers. So I think that very clearly ties in to the trends that we're seeing is at the end of the day, we need to scale and there aren't that many data scientists out there business analysts are starting to take up some of that responsibility and drive that kind of business benefit, which is great. And that's exactly the title of this episode, isn't it? Business <laughs> Analyst by Day, Data Science Hero by Night. Hannah is so clever with the titles of these episodes. Bravo to Hannah White, not Vanna White, Aaron. Hannah White, we already established that. Jason Olson at Kimberly Clark, we're ready for you to chime in on what Chris Carter started, Sam Wong added to, and now it's your turn. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I think we see sites like Facebook and like Amazon and things like that. They're collecting so much data now, and uh, and they're able to actually use it. What I kind of think about is, you know, my company and probably a lot of other companies that of people that are on the phone. Um, they aren't so good at it, but we're getting better. You know, we're collecting more and more. And you know, when I get asked what what data should we keep, all of it. Um, I would keep all mm-hmm. of it. And, you know, the reason is because some of these, some of these machine learning um, tools and things now, you're better off to feed it as much information as you can and let it just, you know, turn through it. And you'll get insights that you never knew existed before. And sometimes that's going to require that to be in the hands of a business analyst, though. Um, you know, in the hands of a data scientist, you know, they may see an outcome and, and they might just not, you know, recognize the importance of it. But when we can get tools like that in the hands of a business analyst, 
and all of a sudden they see an insight that they didn't know existed, it's going to pop out at them immediately. And they're going to be able to take immediate action on it as well. Um, so, yeah, so I think, I, th- I think just that all this data, you know, c- collecting it all, um, you know, but now with these tools, we're able to actually leverage it too. Thank you very much. Chris, I'm going to keep going around the circle over to Sam because I want to get in some mm-hmm. of her questions before we get to our crystal ball round, which is coming up in about six minutes. So, Sam Wong, I'm looking at your notes here, and you have some really interesting things to talk about. But I'm going to I'm going to tell you my top three favorites, and you could pick one of them. I don't usually do this, but I'm, I'm confounded by so many good topics here. You say, one of the beautiful things about data science is that there isn't always a right answer. We could just let that one sit. Second one, you say, people often ask me, meaning you, how many algorithms do you have or what algorithm do you use? That would be a fascinating topic. And the other one is there is a stigma around data science being extremely difficult. Sam, why don't you pick one and talk for about two minutes and then we'll see what Jason and Chris have to say. Sounds good, Bonnie. Um, I'd like to talk about the people often ask me about how many uh, algorithms do you have or what algorithms are you using to solve this business problem? Great. Go ahead. Um, And I'll give a little bit of Thank you. I'll give a little bit of uh, background on that. So my background is I I don't come from a computer programming or a computer science background. I'm actually from advertising uh, and focused primarily on financial services and insurance and uh, magically somehow landed in the tech world. And now I'm a product manager for predictive analytics. So when customers ask me, you know, how many algorithms do you have? Explain this algorithm to me. I'll be very honest. Most of the time i not concerned about that, and it shouldn't matter, especially when we're dealing with um, the easier, I'd say, business problems that a business analyst can solve. You're really focused on what the outcome is. What are you trying to solve? What's the solution? Uh, And let the tools and some of the interesting IP that come out of tech companies help you solve those problems. I think uh, the main reason why people sort of ask about algorithms or or the amount that you have is, is really an uncertainty about what data science is and how it works. And therefore, there's uh, a lack of trust in what is coming out of that algorithm and if they can actually use it for their business, if it's trustworthy enough. So for, for us at SAP and for myself, I think trust is really important. We need to be able to explain what we're doing, especially with predictive analytics. Um, there are some, some algorithms out there that focus on deep learning that aren't explainable, and that's, that's a whole other culture shift that businesses will have to go through but today, especially when a business analyst is involved with data science, it's really important to, to be able to understand what's happening when we're applying an algorithm, not necessarily, again, understanding the mathematics behind it, but understanding what is the problem we're trying to solve, how am I pointing this out to the machine, and like Jason had said earlier, letting the machine sort of do the work and explain why it's made those decisions. Thank you very much. Absolutely fascinating. I'm, I'm sure that is a question often asked. Jason Olson, love to get your thoughts on this. Do people ask you the same thing? And if so, how do you answer? Yeah, you know, I get, I get asked the question a lot about, you know, what, what, what algorithm did you use and all those things? This is the same kind of question we're talking about. And, uh, yeah, that, that is the great thing is that we don't, you, you don't really need to know. Um, and, and that took a little bit to get, to get past, especially with our, some of our mm-hmm. data scientists that we have within the company. You know, you, you had to... You had to kind of answer the question ambiguously. Um, what I found with the tools that we use is it boiled down to you know kind of three different types of uh, of um, uh, techniques that you need to understand. And once you understood 
what the goal of each of those techniques were, it opened up a whole bunch of possibilities. Um, so I would spend time with my business analysts, you know, teaching them about those three um, and not details. You know, there was never an equation shown. It was just, hey, you know, this is helping you to predict in the future. It's identifying a trend, a cycle, uh, you, these kinds of things, just high, high level. And that was enough to get them started. So, yeah, there's no need to talk about those, those you know, which algorithms are, are being used anymore. Thank you very much. Chris Carter, where do algorithms fit into what you tell people when they meet you? Okay, Chris, how many algorithms do you have? Is that is that something that's a reality in your life too? We don't tell them anything. I don't tell ah. them my algorithms, and we don't worry about the algorithms. Um, mm-hmm. Just as our other guests were talking about, it doesn't come down to the, those components any longer. Um, and if it does... We sure don't share them with everybody um, there you go. from a, a business perspective. They want to see the end data, um, and that that is that is where it needs to go. They need to see the answer to that, not all the greasy, grimy, behind-the-scenes activities. They don't want to see the wizard. They want to see what the wizard did for them, and that's what we, uh, we make sure that they get. Okay. And just a quick question don't have to answer specifically. Do you have a favorite algorithm? Do you have something you use for a particular application almost all the time? Is it like your favorite pair of boots or something? Or, or is it just like going into the closet and saying, wow, look at every all the choice I have? We'd, I do if I'm running something in a Hadoop instance or if I'm running something in an SAP instance um, with PI or something, I do have specific ones that I will go to. And I know that some of my data analysts and um, our data scientists on staff They've got specific ones that they like as well, depending upon the application that we're we're working with. Thank you very much. I want to want to pry that from you, but I was curious. We, We are officially in the crystal ball prediction round. Thank you all for great topics bringing to the table today. Jason Olson at Kimberly Clark. I'm going to start off by giving you 60 seconds, and I'd love to know, Let's go anywhere between 2020 and 2025, if you're willing, and tell me, is there a particular year or part of that five-year span that you can look at and say, something is going to change? Maybe we won't call people data scientists anymore. It'll just be data gurus or scientists. Talk to me. What do you predict will change? Jason Olson, 60 seconds. Go. Yeah, I think you I think you kind of started to hit it there already. I, th- I think what's going to happen here is we're going to continue to see more and more of these functionalities become just sort of um, uh, commoditized almost to the point of you you go in, you don't need to really understand it, you don't need to know the details, you just provided the inputs in a wizard-like format and it gives you the results. Um, And I think what that will enable is it will enable more and more people to get their hands into it and, you know, thus it'll enable more and more to, you know, to leverage those insights. And I think eventually you're going to start to see complete processes change, like a supply chain, for instance. You know, maybe you aren't even going to have handoffs or, you know, people involved in there. And you'll actually see that the whole system is automated from the retailer all the way back to the, the manufacturer. Thank you very much. Brief it to the point. Chris Carter, Aproyo, I saved 60 seconds for you. They're all yours. Thank you. I, I 100% want to agree with the fact that this is going to be a commodity. We are moving to a, a realm where data analytics and data analysis and data scientists are are going to be there, but they're not going to be as game-changing as people think they are now because it's going to be our day-to-day activity. And 
the people on my staff and the people at SAP and around the globe, they're just going to be there and provide what everyone wants to be provided, and that's the answer. And they're not going to care how it got there. They're not going to care what the infrastructure or what database schemas we're using and how we're going to but they're going to see the success from from top to bottom, and it's going to be the answers that they're looking for. And I think that that's going to completely change in maybe about the next three years. Ooh, and okay. We're sticking getting, to that three-year target. You're going to bet a glass of something strong on that, Mr. Carter? 50-year-old McAllen. All right. I don't drink it, but I'm happy to watch you. Okay. Thank you very much. Sam Wong, I saved. Well, Sam, here's the good news. They were so concise. I can give you 90 seconds. So what's your prediction? Wow. Lots of time. Uh, (laughs) I'll try and elongate my my answer. But generally, uh, I think in the next seven years, we're going to see a really large shift in how we even build predictive models. So um, building on what Jason said, you know, gathering the data and giving it to the machine um, to actually spit out something that's useful. I think we're going to take that to a whole other level where machines will be able to scan your data and let you know what you can actually predict out of it or make suggestions on how you can improve uh, your predictive modeling techniques and, and what you need to do to build a better model in the future so you can begin to collect that kind of data. I think we're going to get there. Um, Definitely further down the road, not in the next three years, but I see Mm -hmm. that definitely as part of our, our future. Thank you very much. That's what we're talking about, our future. We still have, wait, wait, goodness, we have two and a half minutes left. That's a fortune of time. Uh, I want to know, okay, just a little uh, bonus round here, if you will. Jason Olson, if you were going to be that data science hero by night, what would your cape look like? Uh, <laughs> boy, I think it, I even had a chance to think about this, but um, I, think it would have, I think it would have stripes. Um, it would be black with uh, red stripes. Black with red, horizontal or vertical? I have to know. Uh, horizontal. Horizontal. Okay, good to know. Thank you very much. Chris Carter, would you, what would your cape look like? Or do you already have one? <laughs> oh, I've got one, I'm sure. As my favorite puppeteer would say, da-da-da-da, red, <laughs> white, and blue. Oh, stripes or stars or a little bit of everything? Stars and stripes, red, white, and stars. blue. That's right, baby. All you the man. You the man. There we go. Sam Wong, you're, I have your picture. You're a very fashionable young woman. What would your cape look like, data science hero by day? I think I'm going to go very left field on this one, and I would make my cape um, out of the sort of camouflage material that you see on airplanes and all the superhero movies, so I'd be able to disappear in an instant and appear whenever I'd want to. Oh, she's good. She's good. And uh, Chris has met me. The other two of you haven't, but my cape would probably be black with a little bit of maybe velvet around the edges, and I'd be wearing very tall gold shoes, and my red hair would be very curly, and I'd just blaze past everyone on my way to becoming a data science hero and fulfilling my mission. And that's all I'm going to say for right now. I want to thank the three of you. Hummada, hummada, hummada. You can sing it, you can hum it, and that's the way it is. I want to thank the three of you so much. Jason Olson, I hope this was a good experience for you. We really appreciate your participation. Chris Carter, always wonderful to have you on. Sam Wong, such a pleasure to meet you. Of course, a shout-out to sponsor of the series, John Skitka at SAP, and Hannah White, who does such a wonderful job on blogging and setting up the episodes and the abstracts, and very appreciative for her skills. Aaron at World Talk Radio, the business channel. Today's been a double-header Game Changers Day. We have one more. 
more show to the week tomorrow morning at, let's say we're doing uh, the future of business model disruption, 10 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Business Channel. We've got to get going. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt and put your cape on. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game-changing data science scientist, hero, by day, by night, just like Jason Olson, just like Chris Carter, and of course, just like Samantha Wong. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Predictive Machine Learning, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.